And it took them a while to go and they, to decide whether they should interrupt the captain who was actually having dinner. It's serious enough to disturb the captain's dinner? Yeah, should we disturb the captain <laughs> Ooh, or not? And they, actually, they actually debated it. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Welcome to another episode of The Thinking Leader. We have a new producer today, producer Sam. Hey, hi guys. Younger, fitter, more <laughs> attractive. <laughs> Funnier. Funnier. <laughs> How you doing, Sam? I'm um, very well, thank you. How are you guys today? We're doing great. I'm great. I am next door in your studio, Sam. It's fabulous yes. to be here. Oh, uh, yeah. It's strange to have you in the other room as opposed to being like <laughs> on the screen. Yeah, it's definitely But here's different. the problem. Here's the problem with it's this. It's not a problem, is, Bryce. Is that, is that you guys went and got kebab at my favorite kebab place in East London. Yes, we did. And, and including the delicious uh, mushrooms and cream sauce that they serve there. And you sent me pictures, which is cruel. We promised we would, just to rub it in. Oh, man. And also to tease you for the next time you come over and join us. Yes, yes. That's it's a, the we're, highlight. We're, it's, it's, it's tough to be separated by an ocean like this. I haven't got the heart to tell James that that's the only reason why we use their services because it's right next door to this phenomenal kebab shop. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to break his heart. And now we've got Sam. It's like, why do we even need James? You know, it's, it's a whole new world. Sam, since this is your first time on the show, what do you want to talk about? So earlier this week, I was having a conversation with uh, actually two doctors from a university in America, and they have a risk management and decision management idea called the Titanic effect. Mm -hmm. The Titanic effect. Which is about looking at the top of a problem and then also digging down deeper to see the rest of the problem that's not exactly visible from the, you know, the surface of the water or the you know, quote unquote surface of the water. Like the iceberg. Exactly. Yeah, I've heard of I've heard of this before, the Titanic effect, and it's it's an important concept to be aware of when you're when you're looking at risk and when you're looking at strategy, when you're looking at planning. And and as the as the name implies, it it, it references the fact that uh, you know, famously, the the Titanic saw that it was next to an iceberg and didn't realize that it was you know, thought it was steering to the left of the iceberg, but in fact, plowed right into the mass of it, which was under the water and, and uh, sunk the unsinkable ship, which is a whole other, boy, there's so much to unpack in the Titanic. Maybe we should do that in a second here about uh, cognitive bias and uh, things like this. But the Titanic effect itself is, is something that a lot of organizations fall victim to because they, they, they focus on the immediate problem and they don't take the time to analyze and to get down, to dig down into the root cause of the problem. And if you're not solving the root cause of the problem, you're not avoiding it. And so, you know, you see this manifest in things like, you know, <clears throat> you have a couple of employees on, on, on your design team who are unhappy. And you, and you, you say, well, you know, you got, you know, want you to be, you know, 100% engaged. You guys, you know, uh, you know, take yourselves out to lunch today or something like that on the company. 
But the problem isn't isn't those two employees. It's something about how your system works. It's mm -hmm. it's, it's the maybe that maybe the the deadlines are too are too aggressive or something like that. And so you might solve the problem immediately, but the, but the real problem, the bulk of the iceberg is still below the surface. And that's why one of the things that we teach our clients is a tool that was developed by Toyota called the five whys, which is really an effective tool for digging down and, and, and parting the water and seeing the full mass of the iceberg below the surface. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is the iceberg concept that's the concern here and we'll share a graphic in the show notes afterwards that I can send you Sam and it shows that the, the iceberg tip the visible piece is normally around four percent and they relate that to the executive understanding of what's going on in the company in the organization and it's today and the complexity of the world we're living in is that if you're at the top you only really have visibility of four percent of what's actually going on and as you go down the layers of the iceberg, it's shown you know, your directors have got more, your middle management, and then your frontline teams have got far more visibility. And therefore, it's so important to source the wisdom of the crowd, to get your people speaking up from all levels, to go to the Gemba. So if you're at the top, go to where the work's happening, leadership by walking around, LWBA, get down there and see what others are seeing. Because as Ellie Cloak loves to say, you see from where you sit. And if you're going to continually sit in your office at the top of the tower, you're not going to see very much. So the whole purpose is to go out there and see what people are seeing, have capabilities for them to conduit back to you what they're seeing. So you've got that two-way flow of understanding. As issues arise, they don't stay in the layers below the surface. They start to come up quickly. And also, I remember in the military, we had this called the kernel filter or the middle management filter, where bad news at the front comes up and it filters, 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 and all of a sudden it comes out rose tinted at the top. And that's why when the general used to come down to the coal face and find out what was going on, well, that's not what the colonel told me. Well, no, because the colonel just wants to make sure you hear the good news. So it's really important that if you don't have that mechanism, then you're getting to the coal face or the front line to speak to people. And they're seeing that you're there listening and, and wanting to hear what's going on. Because if you sit in your ivory tower, you're going to get a very blinkered view of what is happening. And that's when you're plowing to these icebergs as the Titanic clearly did. I'm going to stick with the Titanic metaphor for a second here, because, you know, what you're saying, Marcus, actually, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the Titanic. I went through this Titanic phase when I was in, when I was in fourth and fifth grade, where I like read every book about the Titanic, the famous night to remember all the, all these, uh, these, these books. And I became obsessed with the Titanic. And one of the things that I remember about the Titanic story that, that actually it fits amazingly with what you just described, Marcus, is Captain Smith, the captain of the Titanic, you know, he, he wasn't on the bridge when, when they hit the iceberg and he felt it and the ship stopped and he asked why the ship stopped. And they said, well, we, we, we hit an iceberg and, and, you know, the initial reports were everything was okay. But think mm -hmm. about this in, 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 in line with what you just said about the kernel filter and, and truth rising up. There was a whole different, there was a whole different layer of experience about what just happened on the Titanic from cascading from the, the people who were on the, 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 the sailors who were on the deck actually watched the iceberg hit, saw huge pieces of it come crashing down onto the deck, realized that they had hit with tremendous force. Mm -hmm. And the people on the bridge knew they'd hit, but they didn't realize how, how bad it was. 
And it took them a while to go and they, to decide whether they should interrupt the captain who was actually having dinner. Is it serious enough to disturb the captain's dinner? Yeah, should we disturb the <laughs> captain or Ooh, not? They actually, they actually debated it for a while. You know, yeah. Should we even tell him, you know? Right. And I've seen that often. Yeah. And so you get this whole thing. So you have these guys who are at, who are at the coal face or, at, or in this case, the ice face, ice face. who know that, that something serious has happened because they were right on the scene. And one of them, you know, comes running up to the bridge to say, hey, you know, we hit an iceberg. And, you know, the initial reaction was, we know it's OK. You know, the ship's designed to, to withstand that. Meanwhile, down in the in, in, below the waterline, you have guys who are already drowning. Yeah. And in the engine rooms, it's all coming in. Yeah. But the, the first thing the water does is short the intercom system out. And so they can't communicate. Now, this is a dramatic example, but think about how what a useful metaphor this is about how things play out in large organizations. You get you have a problem on the factory floor. If you don't have good mechanisms in place, it takes a while for that to get to the plant manager. And then the plant manager has to decide, oh, do I do I really want to call corporate and tell them about this or should we try to fix it ourselves? Yeah. And what if the same <clears throat> problems being replicated at your factories all over the world? Keep it in house. Don't let yeah. the car out the and back. And so you yeah. get compartmentalized and then then finally the plant manager says okay i'm gonna i'm gonna call the head of head of production of corporate calls the, the the vp of manufacturing oh we have a problem you know so now he he or she has a decision to make do i want to share this with the rest of the leadership team yeah you know and i think about how you know how ford motor company for instance was run before alan mulally came in and every every problem was viewed as a vulnerability mm-hmm so if you had a problem in manufacturing and you were the head of manufacturing, you would think long and hard before you weakened your position. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the second you raise your hand and say, Hey, we have a problem with our factories. You've just given your, yeah. your adversaries in the, in the, in the boardroom a bat to beat you over the head with. But so that's the mindset, isn't it? Yourself. Just, think yeah. of, just think about the words you use then, you know, yeah. The adversaries, these are your fellow peers who should be your team players helping us achieve a game, end game. But viewing these people as adversaries because of that internal politics, careerism that we talk about, absolutely has a massive impact on how people behave. And this is all down to culture, isn't it? It's the tone from the top. It's the messaging that people send down or don't. And we saw this in the military and especially in the Air Force where, especially in the 70s and 80s, there was... And in the aviation world, there was many, many air incidents. You mm. look at the graphs back over the yeah. decades, and it was always, it must be poor engineering, but it wasn't. It was people not talking, not fessing up when there was an incident. Because what was happening, there weren't many accidents, there were many near misses, which ultimately mm. lead to the accidents. And instead of saying, hey, I came out of today's mission, I, I almost flew into to Bryce when we were making a break left turn. Why did that happen? Then discussing it, people just kept quiet. And these yeah. things kept happening. And then it wasn't until we realized why that was happening and people started to be more open. And then we created the open forum, human factors, open reporting. And people will come back and anonymously pop cards in a box and say, this happened today. And they eventually became a magazine title called I Learned About Flying From That. And you'd submit wow. your stories and go, hey, I was out flying low level in my hawk around the Wales Valleys, blah, blah, blah. This happened. And I learned about flying from that. And what that did was a domino of everyone else going, hey, that happened to me last month. That happened to me. And then what you started to see was similarities of these incidents happening, uh, but by people raising it, it then became a thing to focus on. And then 
prevention's got put in place and mechanisms to stop them happening. And over time, and very quickly over time, these incidents that would have become accidents became aware and then no longer manifesting into that end state of disaster and loss of life. But that took a good decade plus of cultural shift, top-down push to say this is okay because of the, obviously the type of people, the ego, the adversary, the you know, intercollegial behaviors that you see causes this dynamic, which is dangerous. And if you apply that to your own business, if you're on the you know, factory line at Ford or if you're in your office and we make a mistake, do we keep quiet because we don't want that held against us as a group? And you know, the boss will keep it in-house, don't let anybody know, rather than sharing it and everyone else gets to see it and therefore they don't make the mistake that you just made because you've taught them that this might happen if, and therefore they are more precocious, you know, more cautious in doing whatever it is that they're going to be doing in their day-to-day work. You know, silence is like a cancer in any organization. Yeah. It, it, is, it, is, it really is. And, you know, when people are either are unwilling to speak up or afraid to speak up, whatever the reason, it, it, it's, it, it's like a cancer. And I use that term because it spreads. Yeah. Ignorance spreads. And it starts to eat away at the effectiveness of the organization. It starts to erode the foundations of the organization. And that's why, you know, shifting, as it sounds like the RAF did, to becoming a more what we would call a learning organization Mm -hmm. is incredibly powerful and incredibly transformative because it's like, you know, sunshine cures everything. And when you shine a light into things, then you see, okay, that's what's going on here and you can start to fix it. But when you sweep things under the rug, it doesn't make them go away. They just build up, they compound in it. And, and that's why so many of the things that we teach, so many of the tools we teach are all about surfacing these issues, are all about looking at the part of the iceberg that's underneath the water and are all about clearing the channel so that communications from the front to, to the top of the house can happen, from the factory floor to the top of the house, from the deck to the bridge can happen with as little disruption and as quickly as possible. Because the world changes so fast today that if, 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 if even if people speak up, if it has to go through 30 filters, if it has to get, you know, get blocked at the kernel level before the general hears it, then that's just, that's just- It's all for nothing. Yeah, well, it's, and yeah. it's a recipe for disaster, you know, and that's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to create these fast feedback mechanisms and I love when we talk about satisficing, you know, where the, where the first thing that's good enough and works, we go with it under that cosh of speed that we also talk about. And what, you know, what do we often talk about in groups is, you know, we solutionize as humans very quickly without yeah. even often understanding the problem. Or when we do have the problem, we leap into a solution. But what we're talking about here is there's a, there's a middle ground before you get from solution to problem, from problem to solution. And it's, you know, here's the problem. Why is that a problem? Or, you know, leadership is the problem in an organization. Well, the solution is train them on something. But why is it a problem? Yeah. What's causing the leadership to do what they're doing, to behave in the way they are? Okay, let's get clear on that. Then what's the impact of that? Clear on that. Now we understand the broader picture. Now we can start to understand the solutions that might rectify this longer problem than just this initial, here's a problem. Now we understand the why, now we understand the potential and likely impacts. We can start to really create quality problem solving mechanisms that will stand the test of time. And also have that, we talk about that, have the optionality of, if that doesn't work, 
don't pause and then wait for direction from the seven layers above you. Pivot to the other option that we talked about and keep testing and learning, experimenting with these things till it works. And when it does work, share that. This is how good practice becomes best practice and best practice continually evolves and never really is best practice. It's just going to get better and better if you have, as you said, an open and learning organization that is aware of these problems that we face every day, but also aware of the tools and techniques and the mindset that needs to be in place for these things to happen really successfully. Good stuff. Let's take a short break. When we come back, I want to come back to the Titanic because there's more I want to talk about there. Of course you do. All aboard. All aboard. (laughs) Hey, folks. Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. So welcome back. During the break, I was having to think about the Titanic and Bryce's enthusiasm for it. And it reminded me of one of our other classes we teach pre-mortem. And in there, we cover a very similar but different incident on another big ship, the Costa Concordia. Mm. Remember that? When the large cruise liner struck a rock off Italy and capsized and went down and killed 33 people. How similar was that? Or how dissimilar do you think that was? Well, it's interesting because, you know, the, the, the one thing that's similar between what happened on the Costa Concordia and the Titanic is that there was this, this initial disconnect and this, this, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes of, of failure to act and failure to understand uh, what to do where people were, were, were dying below decks. Is that normalcy bias kicking in there, do we think? Is that them not thinking? I think that's normalcy bias. Yeah, I think people, you know, it, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, you know, it, it's, it's uh, um, <laughs> you know, you make, you remind me of an incident that happened to, to, to myself and my wife. We were in Istanbul several years ago, and uh, we were crossing, crossing the Bosphorus from the, the European side of Istanbul to the Asian side of Istanbul on a ferry. And halfway through... Um, the Bosporus Straits, which which are the the busiest shipping lanes in the world, the uh, the rudder on the ship broke. We didn't know that at the time. That's what it was. It it and it swung to one side, and our ship just went into like Doing donuts. It was almost like a, <laughs> like a like a, a, a Duke's a Hazard uh, sort of mm-hmm. uh, spin out because it was turning way too sharply for how fast it was going, right in the middle of shipping lanes, and it started to to keel over. And, you know, I, I think part of what, it, what, what it attracts me to, what attracted me to red team in the first place is because I, because this is, I, I, I was, I, I've been a red teamer since before I knew what it was, just the way my mind is wired, my brain works. And so my first thought was that mm-hmm. there is a chance this ship is, is going to tip, is going to capsize. And we're on the side of the ship that's going to be underwater if it capsizes. So I, I grabbed my wife's hand and there was the galley was right in front of us. And I just 
dove into the galley where all the because they serve tea on uh, on the Turkish uh, ferries, of course, as you're crossing. All the teapots were spilling and pouring over. That's how much we were 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 were, were tilted. And there was a there was a waiter there who tried to stop me, saying, "You know, no passenger." I just pushed him aside and, and pulled her through because you don't you know you don't know how many seconds you have. And I wanted to make sure that we were on the side yeah, of the, the ship that was going to end up above water. When, when it didn't, and we got to that side, and, and I told her to hold on to one of the the the, uh, the uh, uh, pillars uh, that were supporting, you know, the deck above, so that uh, you know she, she wouldn't get thrown in the water and all this stuff. And I started thinking about like which shore should we swim to? Should we swim to the to the to Europe? I bet you thought where's side, got the best food? Closer. I was watching. There was a rut. I bet you thought where's got the best food? I bet it went through your mind. One of those processes. Tick tick. <laughs> Well, it is, it is true that the Absolutely. reason we were I'm crossing here. was to go to one of my favorite restaurants on the Asian side, but we'll, we'll talk about that later, uh, where they also have good kebab. Um, <laughs> you know me too well, Marcus. Um, and, it, you know, the whole time there, there's a there's a Russian super tanker bearing down on us. It's going, ah, ah, and, you know, we can't get out of the way. And so I'm thinking, like, what's that going to do to this? And, all you know, we're better off to jump. And fortunately, nobody died. But what stunned me when when when... When we got off the the ferry, which which kind of cra- ended up crashing into the they, they got it they got they it maneuver in time straightened, yeah. but then when we got to the dock they couldn't turn it. We kind of had to crash into the dock with with some damage. Um, but when we got to the restaurant and I was sitting down, I was thinking, what stunned me? I thought back to this, and this is before I before I knew about red teaming, before I knew about normalcy bias and stuff. What stunned me was as I looked into my mind's eye, I could see all all the other passengers doing nothing. Just sitting. Oblivious. And, you know, the only person who I saw, there was an elderly woman sitting next to us and she pulled out her her, her prayer beads yeah. and was, you know, kind of frantically doing her prayer. So at least she was, she had realized something was wrong. But most people yeah. were, were just waiting to see what happened. And, you know, I think you're right. I think on the Costa Concordia, a lot of people were waiting to see what happened. Now, the difference between what happened on the Costa Concordia, though, and what happened on Titanic is leadership. So infamously, the, the captain of the Costa Concordia ends up abandoning ship before the passengers are even off. One of the first off. In fact, the Italian Coast Guard sends him back on yeah, the ship. Exactly. They recognized him ashore and said, aren't you the captain? And they forced him back on board via the ship. Right. He's like, your, your ship is sinking. People are dying. Get back on and do your job. Unfortunately, he, he's in prison now for, for that. Or at least he was. I don't know if he said, yeah, where he deserves to be. Now, the captain of the Titanic, it wasn't Captain Smith's fault that they hit the light, hit the iceberg. It was it was the company's mm-hmm. fault sure, for right. trying yeah. to get them to set a new speed record through the North Atlantic and, and ignoring the iceberg warnings that were out there, which maybe Captain Smith had had some role in that last part. But when the when the incident happened, when it was finally brought to his attention, I mean, you know, he, he became the classical model of of uh, maritime leadership he literally went down with the ship and uh was the last person on the bridge made sure that not only did did as many of the passengers could get away as could but that the crew was, was getting off too and in fact there's some dispute about his fate but but several uh of the survivors claimed that the last they saw him was holding two infants one in each hand trying to keep their heads above water as he was as kicking, you know, to keep his own head above water. Um, 
didn't even get into a lifeboat. Yeah. And, you know, so there's, there's two very different models of leadership under crisis there. Very, isn't it? And one of the things on the Costa Concordia in the post-mortem, sadly it wasn't a pre-mortem, was when they interrogated all the crew, they were all aware of this issue with the captain. Yeah, he'd done it and before. He'd done it, it was before. was how he got dates. Several times. It, it was his party piece. And talked about what we were talking about earlier about silence, you know, and a great quote from Dr. Jordan Peterson is that, you know, if, the, if you have something to say, silence is a lie. And oh, tyranny feeds on lies. I love that. If you've got something to say, then silence is a lie, dot, 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 and tyranny feeds on lies. And that yeah. captain was a tyrant. Yeah. He was a tyrant. He was a bully. And he got away with it because nobody called it out. Nobody raised that as a concern. And we see this often in all, major, all incidents never just happen because of one thing. It's normally a chain of events and each chain link weakens and then one eventually breaks. But when you look at the aftermath, you'll go back and identify multiple chain links that any one of those had been called out at any point along that line, the incident wouldn't have happened. Right. And Absolutely. that's the problem. But somebody chose to remain silent or sweep it under the carpet or cover something up or keep it in their little group. And because of doing that, something further downrange exploded and caused often fatal disasters. Well, and that's why you hear so much talk today about psychological safety in organizations is there's uh -huh. a recognition that you have, to, if you want to be a successful organization, and it doesn't matter if you're a business, if you're the RAF, if you're you're uh, an ocean liner, you have to have a, a you have to create the psychological safety necessary for people to speak up, you know. And if they see something, to say something. And that's why a lot of a lot of the red team thinking tools are designed to create psychological safety where none exists. But the the hope is. And what we've seen happen with, with most of the companies that we work with, most of the organizations we work with, is that when people see the benefit of people speaking up, then, then you don't need to kind of artificially create that psychological safety. They want more of that. You see that because you see the value. You all think we've all got our own biases of people. You know, if, if Bryce is in the room, I don't want Bryce speaking up because he's going to make me look stupid. So I don't want Bryce to talk. Or every time Bob opens his mouth, he doesn't stop talking. Therefore, no one else gets to speak. But when you use these tools and techniques, as you said, when you create psychological safety, which you do, you physically create that capability right. within the room. And then once you hear that there are 10 different outputs from 10 different people, who it comes from, you don't know and you don't care, but you see the quality. And then when you reveal that that thing that Bob normally goes on about came out of absolute gold that was Bob, and you go, oh, wow, hang on, Bob's got some actually good stuff in him when he's thinking. Because normally he's not thinking, he's just engaging system one and blah, blah, blah. But if you give people that opportunity in a safe space to think and engage properly regarding the context of what we're having a discussion about or outcomes we're trying to achieve, once that happens and people see the value, it starts to breed. It starts to multiply. People want more of it. And I'll stop and pause for Bob to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so, so powerful. And we talk about trust. That starts to then foster trust. You don't have to earn trust. That literally happens by default of those mechanisms and those behaviors evolving in the group. And that's how you start to get high-performing teams by enabling people to speak up, to bring themselves to work, but anonymously. And also by doing anonymous work, we prevent the biases that we all know we're impacted by. And over time, all those things start to manifest. But if you're still using this anonymity, you're not having the biases, but people then speaking up afterwards confidently saying, hey, that was my idea. 
and nobody's going, well, it wasn't my idea. I don't like that. You start to get that real, what do we call it today? Not groupthink, a group of thinkers, which is absolutely key. I love that. Not groupthink, but a group of thinkers. That's what we all want to create. Good stuff. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.